the volume. The Draymond Green Show is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. It's easy to use. It's safe and secure. You get payouts in as fast as two hours. There's so many bet types. My favorite same-game parlay bets. There's live betting, player props, futures. If you're new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. To get started now, sign up. Please use the promo code Colin. C-O-L-I-N. FanDuel Sportsbook makes it easy. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Draymond Green Show. This is our 15th episode, and we have another incredible guest, uh, someone who I am very fond of. And and it's funny that I say that because two years ago, I probably would have told you it was one of my least favorite people. Uh, But... I've had the opportunity to work with him, uh, to spend some time around him, and the way he treats people, the way he just makes every environment he's a part of just a welcoming welcoming environment is one of the most incredible things to me. Hall of Fame basketball player, Hall of Fame analyst, and like I said, more importantly, just an overall great person. So this week on this episode, we will have the great Sir Charles Barkley and as I said, I am extremely honored to have a conversation with him so, so you all can hear some of the things that I get from him when I'm in studio. And most of the times I'm just sitting there listening. Like it's not even that I'm asking a question to get these things. It's just like sitting there listening because that's the type of person he is. He see me coming in and he just wants to help. And I think it's amazing, incredible person, probably one of the most misunderstood people around simply because of his job, and he's not afraid to say whatever it is that he's thinking. And I think that's a very powerful thing. So I am looking forward to you all hearing and sharing in this great episode and great interview with Charles Barkley that we will have. But before that, you know, it's we have to go around the association first and starting with me returning. I am feeling great. I practiced uh, two days ago with the team, which was incredible. There was like this whole thing of like, oh, he did 
contact, all the non-contact drills, but not contact drills. The reality is, is there weren't any contact drills in the practice. So I did the whole practice. So give me my credibility. I'll take that. And there was a, there was a drill where it was like semi-contact and like not um, real contacts, just kind of like a defensive breakdown. And I did do that drill, although I wasn't taking any hits or anything like that. But uh, nonetheless, and more importantly, that is a step for me in the right direction that I am thankful and happy about. And now it's just continuing to ramp up, continuing to get my conditioning back, continuing to get my feel back, and most importantly, uh, continuing to, to, to regain all of my explosiveness, which I am very pleased uh, with, with where it is today. And as, as someone who historically, in, I mean, it's a hereditary thing, has pretty skinny calves, my calves have grown uh, due to all the work that I've put in. So I am very happy about that because that was something I used to be a little self-conscious about as a little kid. Like, oh, man, like you, you got no calf muscles. And so I got a calf muscle now, so I'm excited about that. So take that one to the bank. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and moving forward, um, James Harden and Joel Embiid, after two games, there's been all this talk about they're the best duo in the NBA and like all of these things. And don't get me wrong. They are incredible. And I'm not just going off these two games because the reality is they could have had two great games, which they did. They also could have had two terrible games, which didn't happen. And if they had two terrible games, were we going to see those two terrible games and say, oh, man, they don't work together? Or were we going to see those two terrible games and say, all right, they just need a little time to figure it out? I think it would be the latter. So. Let's not overreact to the two great games. However, in saying that, they look good. Um, they look really good. And, you know, uh, I think, what is it, 20, 20 games left in the season? It's great to see James Harden playing at the level that everyone has grown accustomed to him playing. It's funny because after the trade, I was looking at his stats, and he was averaging like, 22, 10, and 8, I want to say. And everybody's like, oh, my God, he's having a terrible year and down year and out of shape. And I'm just sitting there looking at it like, this dude is averaging 22, 10, and 8. Like, that bar has been set so high that 22, 10, and 8, everyone's saying this guy's having a terrible season. And so, it's, you know, it's good to see him out there having fun and, and, and playing to, up to the level that, that we've all grown accustomed to him playing. It's, it's only better for the league. It's also... I've been actually enjoy watching, like, Embiid's been dominant all season. I think, I think we all know that. And we all can agree on that. But it just feels like these last two games, he's been even more dominant and without the ball as much. And that's a very, very, very powerful thing. Because when you can end up being more dominant and have the ball less, I mean, that's incredible because what that does is it's going to allow everyone else around him to get in their flow and to find their rhythm easy. And we know he can just pick it up just like that. And so, man, I think uh, the first, I, I, like I said, I'm not going to overreact over two games. Um, but I think the two games that they have put together have been impressive. And, you know, we'll see uh, how that continues coming together. Um, you know, that the Eastern Conference is deep, deeper than it's ever been. Uh, I think the two the two leading candidates for 
for MVP are are out of the Eastern Conference right now with DeMar DeRozan and, and Joel Embiid. And so, and then obviously you you still have Giannis um, in the Eastern Conference. You still have Jimmy Butler. You still got KD coming back from injury. You still got Kyrie who's starting to play more games. And there's seem, it seems that he may be able to play home games sometimes in the near future. Um, I think that's very interesting. I still, for the life of me, can't understand why um, someone can go to the arena and watch the game but not be vaccinated. But Kyrie can't play the game that the unvaccinated person is watching. I just can't seem to understand that for the life of me. And, I mean, you you have places losing, like they're losing mass mandates. Um, they're dropping vaccine mandates. And yet there's still this thing there. Doesn't make much sense to me. I honestly think it's one of the things that has made people question different things around COVID-19 this entire time. It's rules like that that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Like, we're, we're going to fill up a stadium with 20,000 people. And oh, by the way, all 20,000 of those people could possibly not be vaccinated. But Kyrie Irving can't play if he's unvaccinated. So maybe someone will help me figure that one out um, at some point. But I just, I'm, I'm yet to wrap my head around what's the whole deal with that. But maybe it'll all be dropped sometime soon because that's the route it seemed like it's moving. So until then, we'll see. But there's been a lot of injury news coming out. Like I said, myself, uh, KD, we've heard will be back probably sometime within the next week. And so that that's great. And then obviously AD is out for another four to five weeks, which leads us into the Lakers slump. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think they've won four of their last 20 games. And at that time, I think they were maybe four for fifth in the East and I mean in the West. And now they are ninth in the West. I, I have to speak on the booze last night. Um, I, I thought that was insane, to be quite honest. From, from a team, from, from an organization that's had so much success, to start booing when things aren't going right, like, that's kind of whack to me. And then everyone gets upset if a player comes out and say, oh, well, forget them fans. Or, like, they not with us anyway. Then everyone seems to get upset and uptight about it. But as, as athletes, we're just supposed to sit back and be like, oh, they're booing us. Like, quite frankly, most of those people in that arena don't know how it feels to get booed. And so I guess I can cut a little slack in just you not understanding how it feels to get booed by your own. Now, for me, I actually like getting booed. Like, when I come to Crypto Arena, like, boo me all you want. That's fun to me. The Cavs fans did it all weekend at All-Star Weekend. Like, I enjoy it. So, but to get booed by your own fans, like, it's very distasteful and disgraceful. And and, and I was shocked to see that. Like, I, 
I mean, some boos rang out when, when Braun threw the turnover uh, where he tried to hook the pass around to Taylor Horton Tucker in the corner. I've seen LeBron make that pass several times, and it is an amazing pass. Didn't complete it yesterday, and the boos rang out. I thought that was pathetic. I, I thought it was extremely pathetic. And like I said, I thought it was very distasteful from a fan base of an organization that has the most championships in the NBA. Like, like let's not be so, like, like spoiled brats. Like, it's okay to be spoiled. Like, yeah, you can 100% be spoiled. We all get spoiled by things at times at one point in our life or another. But let's not be brats. And, and, and that was about as bratty as something that I've seen, considering that this team just won a championship not even a full two years ago. And, and now you're booing? Like, I thought that was utterly ridiculous. And like I said, it was very distasteful. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing where the Lakers go from here because you can go one of two ways. Uh, you can use that to band together and say it's us against the world. It's us against all these other teams in the NBA. It's us against this fan base, our fan base too. It's, it's us against the world and see if they can rally around that. Or do you continue to splinter and separate more? Because the reality is when you're losing at that rate, there's going to be some splintering and there's going to be some separating. I mean, we saw that um, DeAndre Jordan was cut a couple of days ago due to signing DJ Augustine. And, you know, so you start to see moves like that. And, like, some of those things were expected to happen uh, a, a little while ago. So I wasn't necessarily shocked by uh, DeAndre Jordan being being cut. But I'm, I'm very interested in, in seeing uh, can the Lakers pull this together and what happens from here. And like I always say, if there's anybody that can do it, they got LeBron James. He's shown that he can do it. So uh, I've told y'all before, I'm never counting them out uh, until they're out. They're not, they won't be counted out by me. I know how dangerous they will be in trying to compete and win for win a championship. If they, All you got to do is get in the playoffs. You get in the playoffs, you got to win four games, then you got to win four games again. You got to win four games again, and you do it one more time, you're a champion. So that's an entirely different season. Like I said, I, I refused as, as someone who's competing against them and competing for the same thing. Everyone can say what they want. You can talk about their slump. You can talk about their age. You can talk about all of these things. But who won't be counting them out is me. And who else won't be counting them out? is a team that I am one of the leaders on. No way. We face them. We are facing the same Lakers that everyone thought we'd be facing when the season started because they still have that, that same talent. It's still on that team. Uh, and that same pedigree, championship pedigree that they got on that team, it's all still there. So we'll be ready, and, and, and maybe we'll see them, maybe we won't. But whoever do, it won't be a walk in the park. I don't think so. I, I just can't foresee that happening. So uh, we'll see. But like I told you guys uh, a little while ago, uh, we're going to get into the interview with Sir Charles Barkley. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. 
I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all. But I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because they ain't it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Man, I want to welcome uh, my next guest, Hall of Famer, um, someone who I actually have the honor of calling a coworker um, today and, and a partner in crime. Uh, the incredible um basketball player but what i've said before more importantly to me i think he's an even better tv personality than he was basketball player and yet he's in the hall of fame for basketball so that shows you how great he is at this and i know the the emmys have been rolling in emmy award winner but everything else will keep rolling in as far as hall of famer and, and tv as well and i'm honored to have you as a guest the chucks to charles barkley What's happening, Thank my you, brother? man. Thank you, thank you. Welcome to the team, too. I mean, you're going to be great on TV for the next 100 years once you get through playing <laughs> basketball. I will tell you, you this, though. Hey, man, don't rush it. Ain't nothing yes, like sir. playing. I tell people all the time, I don't care how much success you have on television, there's nothing like playing basketball for a living, those big games and things like that. There's nothing like it. And you can always be Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, and Draymond Green for the rest of your life. But, hey, you play until they drag that damn jersey off of you, brother. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, I, I've, heard you, I've heard you say that once before. And, you know, I've, I've d- done some research before on J-Lo, and my fiance absolutely loved J-Lo. And one thing she said was when she did the Selena movie, that that's what made her want to go into singing because she was an actress at first. But that, but the thrill in that and that rush that she got from being on stage in that movie is what made her then go into singing. Is that similar to what you're saying as far as TV and actually playing the game of basketball? Yeah, TV's fun. I mean, it's a great way to make a living, but ain't nothing like being in the moment, especially like you have so much control to bring 
for joy in their lives. But you think about this, like, no matter how bad shit going in life for somebody in Golden State, San Francisco, when the Warriors are doing good, it brightens up their day. And to have that type of power to like, man, these people, they can be having trouble at home, they can be having trouble at work. To joy you can bring them, there's nothing like that rush. You know, you because you know, you know, people come up to you all the time. I say, I want to thank you for this. I want to thank you for this. And you're like, wow, man. Uh, even though it's a stupid basketball game, it does bring a lot of joy to people. I mean, like I said, you could be having an awful day, but if your team is doing well, man, it's a really big deal. Like, it, like that's been times I've had people come up to me who are like battling cancer, who was sick, and say, hey. I just want to thank you for that ride we were on and things like that. So it, it's really, it's a really ain't nothing like it, Dre. Ain't nothing like it. Absolutely. And and, and speaking of of playing as long as I could possibly play, I can't help but to ask. I know since I started coming uh, to Turner and working with you guys, I've been hearing even well before that. Chuck's going to retire in about a year. Chuck's going to retire in about two years. And I know you recently just came out and said you maybe got two more years and then that's it. Like, is it serious this time or, or do you just kind of take it year by year and, and go, as, go on how you feel? Well, I think that you're going to run into this when you get older. Dude, I've been doing this 21 years. Like, wow. if I was doing it five years, I wouldn't be thinking about retiring. Wow. So I, I'm in year 21 now. And then I got two more years left on my contract. And like I say, dude, I turned 59 last week. So I ain't no young ass dude. And I'm smart enough to know, and I'm not one of those guys who worried about death. If I die tomorrow, man, I had a good run. But I do know I'm closer to death than I am living. And I'm going to be a grandpa hopefully in the next week to 10 days. Wow, congratulations. And I don't want to, like I say, and I, and I can say, I don't want to die on television. I want to be die traveling the world, having fun. You know, I want to be a, I want to be a great grandpa. I, I do, I want to be a great grandfather. But like I say, I, I'll be 60 years, 61 in two years. And like, like I say, we don't know how this thing going to end, but I want to be able to say like, Man, he wasn't working. He was traveling the world. He was having fun. He was golfing. He was fishing. Man, I just saw Charles. He was over in Italy. I saw him on. Uh, they had a. You know, I just saw him. He was over in Germany. I just saw him. He was over in Spain. I mean, got because all the work that we have done. Uh, you know, going back to driven that stupid basketball in the parks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like you built yourself an amazing life yourself and me, like, why not enjoy the back nine? Absolutely. Because even though the work ain't hard and it's fun, you still have something to do all the time. That, that yes. I tell people, I says, you still have stuff to do all the time. And that's what, like, if I could just show up at the studio and just do basketball, like, no, I have to do X amount of interviews a day. I, you know, I, like, you know, you have to go and pump up the show. That's really what's really fun. I'll tell you this funny story. Not many, not many people know this. And I'm probably going to get in trouble for telling you this. <laughs> we actually hired Kobe Bryant. At Turner. At Turner. But he didn't want to do all the other bullshit. <laughs> this is one of the, uh, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but this is one of the, like, little 
things that bit that we kept we keep in the car. So he actually signed with us. But then when we started telling him, like, you know, I had to do a bunch of radio shows, like, hey, I go on this show on Monday, some hey, from Thursday night TNT, same thing on Tuesday, same thing on Wednesday, same thing on Thursday. He like, yeah, I don't want to do all that stuff. <laughs> he says, Well, you you have to promote the show, Kobe. So Kobe actually is so funny. And like I say, it's probably only 10 people in the world know that. That he actually signed with us. He's like, no, nah, I'm not doing all that other bullshit. He just like, no. Nah. But it, it was funny because like I say, we always have something to do. Yeah. So, so wait, hold on. So Kobe signed and he was gonna be on on like just one of the guys on the Thursday night crew? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and he had he had he had signed with us. David Levy, my old boss, had signed him mm-hmm. to a deal, and we were excited. We were really excited. And then he called me back like a week, ten days later, somewhere in that time frame. Like, yeah, Kobe's not gonna come. We're like, why? Because he don't want to do all the PR stuff. He don't want to go on radio shows and talk about basketball. I'm like, well, that's part of the gig. Mm-hmm. I mean, people need to know. Hey, I'm on Thursday night because if you notice when you do interviews. They're like, hey, welcome from TNT Thursday night, Charles Barkley. Yep. Same thing, you know, you, know, you talk to Kenny and Shaq. They always, because that's that's part of the promoting the show. So mm-hmm. it was funny, though. He didn't want to do all that. And uh, he never uh, never came to work for us. Wow, that's interesting. I, mean, I, I think that's great for me, too, because the reality is, is you, you know, you see the job that you guys do. And unless you're tuned in to the radio shows or you catch one of your snippets when you break the internet. Um, yeah. you, you don't you don't really know anything past you going up there on Thursday nights. And yeah. yet it seems to be so much more to the job than people even know. You know, you'll hear people say, oh man, Chuck make all this money and he only work one night a week. And from by what you're saying, that's far from the truth. Well, it, it is far from the truth. Well, because really, the only time you really work is doing the uh, playoffs. You like work every day for two months. I mean, that's when it's hectic and there's a lot going on. But during the regular season, you really only work it one day a week. So that's when you really have to pump it up more. Like mm-hmm. everybody's uh, going to watch the playoffs. Like when the playoffs start, they are on 40 days and 40 nights. But during the regular season, you have to pump it up all week. Like, hey, we're Charles Barker Thursday night. I do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Just let, but like, I mean, that's part of the gig. Uh, yeah. But you know, Kobe didn't want to do all that stuff, and uh, <laughs> that, and it never worked out. That that's funny. I mean, as for especially for someone as hard as working as Kobe, like, no, nah, I don't want to do all that. But then you think about it, and the reality is, for everything that he gave to the game of basketball, I can understand him saying. Like, nah, that's too much for me. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. And, and quite similar to what you're saying about being a great grandfather, I think at that point in his life, the most important thing for him then was being a great husband and, 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 and being a great dad. And we saw that, you know, like we saw that with Gigi and her basketball career. You see the videos with him at the mall uh, with the baby girl and all of that. So I think that's a very interesting, just a, a very interesting thing overall. But, well, you know, and okay. uh, as a as a dad to a daughter, the bond you have, like I've been in the NBA for thirty seven years, and wow. guys don't give a shit about sons, but they <laughs> love their sons. They love their sons, but 
it's just something about a girl that she has you wrapped around her finger. And like, it, it, I used to joke about my daughter all the time. I said, my daughter asked me, dad, I want to go to outer space. I was like, well, let me see if we can fit it in the budget. Like, <laughs> there's no way you can tell your daughter. No, like, I like to say, I've been in the NBA for 37 years. Dudes tell they sound like, get the hell away from me, man. No, you can't have that. You can't have that. But I, but I ain't never heard one of my dudes say, yeah, man, my daughter, I ain't got no chance against her. Whatever she wants, I'm going to give her. And then when mm-hmm. I got my daughter, I was like, damn, I know what you mean now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was like, nah, man, whatever. She, I mean, she just the most, like, and it's crazy how they have so much control over you. And like I say, I've been around this game, and the guys who tell their sons all the time, man, leave me alone, man, and you're bugging the hell out of me. But when they come to their daughter, like, no, whatever she wants, she's going to get. It's, it's a really crazy dynamic, but it's true. No, as as, as a father of, of two daughters, I, I definitely understand. And a son, I definitely understand that because I think for me, like everything with my son is I want to give you all of the things that I had to go through without you having to go through those issues. But yet understanding that in order for you to become a man, I have to let you go through some of those issues and trying to find that balance, I think is always tough thing for me with him. But with my girls, you're right. It's just like, all right. They don't want half the stuff. You can buy them dolls and clothing and they're good. Yeah. Your son, he wants every sneaker. He (laughs) wants every Jordan. He wants every LeBron. And then they want a, a cell phone. Then they want a car. I mean, like, it's crazy. Like, and, you know, and, and the most difficult thing, and it's a very difficult thing, trying to figure out how much to give them. Because you can't, like, and there's no right or wrong answer. Because I've seen crazy kids. I've seen kids go to jail. I've seen kids who don't speak to their parents. I've seen parents who don't speak to their kids. I mean, it's such a crazy learning experience because 99.9% of the players grew up poor. Yes. And now now your dad's rich. And I can't even imagine how crazy it is now with the money you guys make to date. I mean, I tell people all the time, dude, the most money I made in 16 years was $5 million a year. (laughs) That's crazy. And I said... And that's after 16 years I made five million. I said, you got guys making 20, 30, 40 million. I can imagine like trying to like, I can give my kid anything, but I'm not going to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's a right way or a wrong way to do it. But man, it's 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 really a tricky, slippery slope trying to figure out how much to give them. Absolutely. Because and, and, like I said, you can give them too much. Like I say, in my years, I've seen some, a bunch of train wrecks. I've seen a bunch of great kids. I mean, I've seen good, bad, and ugly in my 40 years in the NBA of guys trying to raise their kids. Like I say, I can't even imagine what it's like with you guys making $20, 30000000 million a year because those kids can read. They're like, my dad <laughs> making $30 million a year. I can get anything I want. <laughs> I said, like I say, my 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 last year, I made five million dollars after sixteen years 
And you know that that that's a lot of money, but it ain't uh, nothing to compare. And bless you guys, what y'all make today. But I couldn't imagine arguing with my kids today. My daughter, I only got one. Wait, trying to figure like, Dad, I just saw you made forty-five million dollars, and I ask you for this, this, and this, and you're gonna tell me no. I'm like, I couldn't imagine what it's like for kids today when they see how much money their parents make, and they're like, Dad, you can give me anything in the world which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I remember when I was on set, um, your your daughter was getting ready to to get married. Yes. And you said, I told her you can either get the wedding or you get a down payment on the house. Y'all pick. And she picked a wedding. Did she still get the down payment, Chuck? You know, you know, Dre, that was a, uh, first of all, I, I, she went to Villanova in Columbia. I thought mm-hmm. she was smarter. <laughs> I was like, listen, you can get a, a big chunk of money to start a house and start a college tuition fund. You can get old stupid wedding where a bunch of, a bunch of, bunch of freeloaders come up and drink up all your alcohol and eat up all your food, and that money's gone. And then she says, Dad, I want a wedding. And I'm like, I thought you were smarter, but it's your wedding. I said, number one, you better hope this works. I'm not doing this shit for your second wedding. You're going to get a just another piece on your second wedding. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she stayed relatively in budget. Okay. But That's I wanted her, and I can understand, uh, she wanted a wedding. It's the first time getting married. But I do, I wish a lot more people would like, no, nah, you give me some money. Because I can't imagine what it's going to be costing when kids go to school now. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, damn. I think one of the great travesties in our country is what we charge education. I do. I think America is the greatest country in the world. You see all this stuff going on over in Ukraine and Russia. It's like, man, we're so lucky to be born in the United States. I mean, that's so crazy. And bless the Ukrainians. I mean, bless them. But like, I, what we charge kids to go to school today, I, it really makes me sick to my stomach because especially black kids and poor kids, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They can't have, like they're eliminated probably from sixty-five to seventy percent of the great colleges in this country right off the bat, and I don't think mm-hmm. that's fair at all. I mean, because you know these people can't be writing checks for seventy-five, eighty thousand dollars or getting in debt that type of way. So I wish they, they would fix the, the the school system. So if a kid wanted to go to, let's say, Villanova, I don't even know how much it costs to go to Michigan State. But I'm pretty sure it's a pretty penny. Yeah. You know, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars. That's a lot of money, especially you got three or four kids. Most people can't afford to get in that type of debt. And I wish we Absolutely. would fix that. I wish we would fix that school system in this country. No, I, I think one of the biggest issues with it is number one, you go to four years of undergrad, and then you get out. Depending on, there's maybe two or three undergrad degrees that you can get and you actually get a great job coming right out of that. For all the other ones, you need to go get a master's or you need to go uh, get a second degree. Then that puts you another hundred and fifty dollars to $200,000 in debt. And yeah. let's say, for instance, it is a teacher. You know, we, we know how, how little teachers are paid in America and how ridiculous their salaries are. So let's say it's a teacher, someone who's educating our children, which is important because they are our future. 
they're going to be in debt the rest of their life. You, they, they bring home sixty or seventy thousand dollars before taxes, and yet you're already starting off three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand dollars in debt. And then you have these kids coming from poor neighborhoods like myself, mm-hmm. like yourself, and 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 going into that debt. There's never a way out of it. There, like no, never. If if, if because. In order to get these loans to actually go to college, you have Sally May and all of these people charging you 18% interest. Mm-hmm. And 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 so you you spend the rest of your life in debt. I actually never understood um, just the debt system and school system and how it actually worked in student loans until me and my fiance were years into dating. And, and we got to talking about me, uh, like us finally paying off our student loans. And... My fiance ran track at Michigan State. She was mm-hmm. a, on partial scholarship, yet she still has student loan bills. And I was talking to her, and and, and she's saying, yeah, uh, it's this amount. I've already been able to pay off this amount. And I'm just like, She's only paid the interest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe I it because for us, you get all the free books. You know, you get every everything's for free. Yeah. So. When I left school, I did leave in debt. I left with a $5,000 credit card bill that I had maxed out because I didn't have any more money. But that was it. I did not understand that. And she helped me understand it. And I don't know, like, if if you're not becoming a professional athlete or a lawyer or a doctor, like, how can you ever, or an entrepreneur, how can you ever pay those things off? The The system is stacked against you. You know, Listen, I'm very aware of racism. I grew up in Alabama. Racism exists, always has, and unfortunately always will. But the biggest problem, we one of the biggest problems we have in America, it's really just about economics. It's rich people screwing poor people. Because mm-hmm. we put poor people in this situation where, number one, we put them in the worst neighborhoods. Yeah, We put them in the worst schools. Mm-hmm. And we say, good luck being successful. And then you get some fool on TV telling you just got to work harder. You're like, yeah. no, you didn't work harder, brother. You just had an advantage. But you really, unless you got to have great self-esteem, great discipline. Because I remember when I first started learning about debt, as you're talking about now. You know, I don't want to call out any credit card companies. There's a couple of credit card companies sending these credit cards to kids in college. But, you know, maybe one day I might get a commercial with one of these people, so I don't want to piss them off. <laughs> but so they send these credit cards to these kids, so they send them to me and my friends. And we would just go in the we just go up and buying up everything. And we'd be patting each other on the back, man, we really screwing these people. We're getting over on these folks. <laughs> and so we only got to pay this much. And then I was in college for three years. And then when I got to the NBA, when I started memeing, like, people knew how to handle money, like, well, what's this debt stuff you got going on? I said, well, we got these credit cards. We were getting over on these people. We buying all this shit, blah, 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 blah. He says, you do know you only paying interest, right? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. He says, Charles, they send those credit cards to poor people who need it, and you just buy up a bunch of stuff, and you pay, quote, unquote, the minimum, which not even a, it's not even an interest in most cases. And then by the time you figure it out later, something that costs $1,700, you paid like $4,000 for it by the time you actually get it. I was like, <laughs> damn. 
And so that's the one of the reasons I try to teach my friends. I say, yo, man, do not get these credit cards. And if you get those credit cards, pay them off each month yep. or pay them off as soon as possible. It's like sometimes you run into stuff where you just need some stuff. Yeah. I said, but do not pay that damn minimum. But you're going to pay two to three times whatever some costs because uh, they only send you a couple credit cards in college. Like, wait a minute. Why are they sending me credit cards in college and I ain't got no damn job? Because that's part of the hustle they got going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's uh, stuff like that. You know, I try to teach my friends, yo, man, do not be maxing out these credit cards. Get get whatever you get and pay it off. Don't don't hold on. Pay it off. And that's the type of stuff I try to teach my homeboys in my small town in Alabama. Because there's a lot of scams out there that black people don't know about. And poor white people are in the same boat, too. You know, they're in the same boat. I mean, because that goes back to what I said earlier. It's really about economics. Because but because I use this analogy when I'm speaking. You got to understand something about being poor and black and poor and white. The baseball analogy is three strikes in baseball. But if you're poor and poor in this country, you got two strikes against you. You're going to be in a shit neighborhood. You're going to be in a shit school. And they're going to say, good luck. And like I say, me and you got hit because we were really great at basketball. Mm -hmm. But most of the people, ain't they ain't got that type of talent. And that's, that don't mean negative about them. That's just a fact. And if you don't have that self-discipline, you get yourself in debt and you're going to, and it's a long uphill climb for the rest of your life. Absolutely. No, I, I think for me, um, <clears throat> even learning once I got to the NBA, my first year of filing taxes, uh, my mother, I, I had done so much for my mother that first year that my business manager was like, hey, I, I think you should claim her on your taxes. At that point was the first time I ever learned um, how much money my mom made. And I always wonder about this, especially in neighborhoods like ours. Um, one thing with me and my kids is I try to teach them about money now. Because, yeah. you, you know, growing up in the neighborhoods that we grew up in, it's like I'd ask my mom, hey, mom, how much did that cost? Enough? You know, or, um, mom, uh, can, can, we can we afford to pay for that? And it's just no. Well, why can't we afford to pay for that? Or, yeah. um, mom, how, how, how much money you make? Uh, you got a roof over your head, don't you? And, yeah. and the reality is <clears throat> I'm you so You don't even know you're poor. Exactly. And I'm yeah. so appreciative of my mom. And you can never be mad at your parents just for not knowing what they didn't know. You know, yeah, they didn't exactly. know anything about finances either. But the reality is, is if we don't learn to correct that, especially as a, as a culture, and, and really teach our, our children about finances, good, bad, or indifferent now, while, while they are still kids, we're going to continue this, this dying cycle of our culture and not understanding financial literacy by hiding it. You know, you're trying to hide the fact. Like, I think at that point, I think I found out my mom made $17,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there like, are you kidding me? Like, I remember growing up, my mom would say, we poor. Like, I would ask for something. She'd be like, we poor. I'd be like, whatever. Like, we had a roof over our head. I had yeah, clothes we don't on even my back. I had shoes. Is. Exactly. And so I'm like, yeah. whatever. Until I saw that, I was like, wow. But how do we ever change that? If we don't get comfortable enough with whether we're poor, middle class, rich, wealthy, if we never get comfortable enough with sharing that information with our children. Well, I think the number one thing we got to do is we've got to like, okay, guys, 
we, I'm not going to be an enabler. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to give you money and let you blow it. Because mm-hmm. once you start giving people money, they're never going to stop. They're never going to stop. You got to teach them how to handle money. Because some people get in debt one time. That's understandable. But when you come around asking for money all the time, you're just becoming an enabler. You know, I, I remember my mom, my mom, I got one pair of shoes to start the season because that's all she could afford. And she would bring them to the game. And she would come to the locker room after the game and get them. Because they had to last me the whole season. And that's because my mom was a maid. I live with my mom, my grandmother. My mom was a maid. And my grandmother worked in a meat factory. So I, I guarantee you, neither one of them made over $20,000. Raising three boys, four boys total, actually. Because two of my brothers have passed away. And I couldn't imagine until, like, she's like, Charles, you're going to get one pair of shoes. Just, they got to last you the whole season. You can wear them to school once the season over. But you're going to have to wear raggedy shoes to school every day. But... I'm going to get you a brand new pair of shoes to start the season. <laughs> it was so funny. She bought them to the game and she came, it was like, knocked on the door after the game. He's like, no, you're not wearing those shoes out the rest of the night. I used to joke about that <laughs> later in life, but that was it. Those shoes had to last me the whole season. And, Absolutely. you know, living in the projects, you know, I, I, my mom and grandma did an amazing job. But living in projects, like, you don't even know you're poor. Mm-hmm. Like, we we ate our meals. We never were hungry. I mean, it was mm-hmm. tough living and sleeping in bunk beds growing up. But never even realized, quote, unquote, we were poor until later in life. Like, oh, we were poor. Mm-hmm. But my mother and grandma, they were both hardworking ladies. And like I say, I got very lucky because I could dribble a stupid basketball around and I was very fortunate to change the whole dynamic uh, of my family. And hopefully I can keep sharing that. You know, one of the things I do a lot of work with historically black colleges, and I try to tell them, like, you got to learn how to handle money. No matter how much money you got, you got to learn how to handle it. If it's a million dollars, you got to handle it. If it's $7,000, you got to handle it. It is what it is. The situation you're in, that's your reality. And you're right. One thing about being black, we got to do a much better job on teaching each other how to handle money. Absolutely. And also, we got to make sure that, like, as far as when it comes to crime, we have to tell black people, yeah, the system is stacked against you criminally. You can't break the law, then say there's systematic racism. Like, yeah. We, we know there's systematic racism. <laughs> and you know if you break the law, they're going to put your ass in jail. But you don't get to break the law and come back and say, it's systematic racism. Every Black person in America knows, like, yeah, there's systematic racism. I know that I can't break the law. And, but I always laugh when these guys break the law and say, well, it's the system. I'm like, no shit, it's the system. Everybody knows the system is racist. Systematic racism. So you you knew you couldn't do stupid stuff and you still went out of there stupid stuff. That's what pisses me off sometimes. Absolutely. Now, and, and, switching, and switching gears just a little bit because we are talking about African-Americans. Um, <clears throat> a question that I wanted to ask you because I've had a very similar, not similar in 
necessarily what happened, but similar in the outcome. Why is it as, especially as African-American men, because we are leaders, um, why is it that we as African-American men struggle so hard to move on from things and reunite back together? And the situations that I am talking about is my fallout with Kevin, which was a very public thing. Everyone knew about it. Everyone questioned it. Blah, blah, blah. You're falling out with MJ, which was kind of a public thing, but everyone knew about it. And, yeah. and yet, I think that is a very important relationship because, number one, both of y'all are two guys that I grew up watching play, two mm -hmm. guys that I grew up looking up to, but also um, two guys that are doing such positive things in our community. And I think one of our biggest issues in our community is he's doing positive over here. He's doing positive over there. She's doing it over here. But we never come together. We never come together and do it all as one. Why, why is it that we can't move past things like that as African-American men and just allow it to keep moving forward? And as if that's not going to affect the ones coming up from behind us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, number one, when you're successful, you're stubborn. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. to be successful, you have to have an ego. Absolutely. Uh, and sometimes it's to a fault. But we all have, you're successful, you have an ego, you're stubborn. That's part of what makes you successful. That, to me, is what it's really all about. Uh, it's so, uh, and first of all, it's always stupid, too, to be honest with you. Like, yo, man, I'm sorry. You're sorry. Let's keep it moving. Let's get over this bullshit, whatever it is. But People get stubborn and you factor in the way we are in television and the internet today. It's like, well, I'm not going to make the first move. You're not going to make the first move. And, and you got to understand there's people around both of y'all, both of us, who are probably fanning the flames. Absolutely. So it, 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 it really comes down to silliness, to be honest with you, mm -hmm. because uh, we all need each other to be successful. We yeah. all need each other to be successful. And it's just about ego and stubbornness. That's all it is. Because very few guys will pick the phone or say, yo, man, my bad, my bad. You know, mm -hmm. it, most celebrities get in trouble when they try to... Um, handle a, a, a messed up situation. They, instead of like, they got all these people around like, hey, let's handle it like this. Let's handle it like this. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I have been successful, every time that I messed up, Dre, I just said the words, my bad, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And I don't worry about, because there's two factions, there's the public and there's the media. The media, they're in a very unique situation. What I mean by that is, they kind of got to pile on or they lose credibility. When you do something wrong or stupid, the press can't say, oh, it's all right. They're like, no, nah, I got to keep my credibility. So they're going to throw gasoline on the fire. That's just the way the thing works. So the, the people around you, you got to have good people around you to tell you like, no, Dre, you probably shouldn't do that. No, Chuck, you probably shouldn't do that. But on the other hand, there's so many people around you because 
on the payroll who lets it, nah, man, forget him. He's this, he's that. So there's a lot of variables, but it really comes down to ego and stubbornness. That's all it really comes down to. And I, I know for sure that you're capable of putting your ego to the side. By the way, when I first walked out, and I've told this story publicly before, when I first walked on to the set to do the arena uh, with you, Carrie Champion, and Dwayne Wade, I mean, <clears throat> there, was, there was no surprise. I was coming on there. We had been talking back and forth in the media. You said you was going to punch me in my face. I said I was going to take your job. Like, we can go on and on and on. It, it went on for years. And the moment I walked on that set, you got out of your seat. What's up, Draymond? How you doing? And I'll be 100% honest with you. I was walking up there like, whatever happened, happened. If he say something to me, if he want to punch me, I'm ready to go there. And you disarmed me so fast. Like, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? It's great to see you. Welcome. And, and I'm just sitting there like, what the hell? Like, you, you, you know what's really funny? You remind me a lot of Dennis Rodman. Like, <laughs> I want to play with you. You'd be a known as fuck to play against. Like, I saw Dennis at the 75 thing, and we hugged each other like brothers. He's somebody I really like a lot and respect. You're the same way. It would be annoying to play against you because, number one, I don't think you've ever committed a foul. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, hey, listen, I, I, that, that makes me laugh every time. <laughs> but I think sometimes people don't realize, and you're going to realize it too, like at one or two o'clock in the morning, sometimes you're like, this dude is driving me crazy tonight. He's arguing <laughs> with the refs all night. And then Shaq said, what do you want to do? And I just said, I just want to punch him in the face. And then what pissed me off about that night, to be honest with you, I was joking around, and then a reporter asked you that. And then you got to the... See, that's one, of, that's one thing I tell brothers. You have to be really careful because everybody's got pride and ego. Mm -hmm. And I knew when I heard him ask you that question, I said, oh, man, this dude going to think I'm serious about punching him. I ain't never going to punch an NBA player because we're all in the same family. But mm -hmm. I knew because a lot of guys don't understand, like, the media, when they ask you a question, they want you to come back at a dude. They mm -hmm. want you to keep it going. That's why I never respond. When guys say bad stuff about me, I says, I take that, goes with the job. Because the media, number one, they don't know a lot about basketball. So when they have two guys just going back and forth at each other, it's just crazy. Mm -hmm. And, and like, you kind of doing it. I said, we're doing their job for them. Like, no, nah, man, you write about basketball. Don't write about these two guys. Because, like, why are you writing about two guys who said something about each other? That's like right now. I haven't heard Giannis's response, but I heard Charles Oakley say that Giannis would be like coming off. He's not that good of a player, and he'd be coming off the bench in our day. And like, I hope Giannis don't respond, because then they're gonna go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and like nobody wins because Giannis is a great, great player. That dude can flat out ball. I mean. What's going to be very interesting in the next 10 to 15 years, man, he going to, if he, I mean, he's going to set so many records because he's getting an easy 28 a night. 
for the next 10, 10 well, because he's only like 25. Yeah, young. Yeah. He's young. But I hope he don't respond because that was a stupid statement. It was unnecessary. But like I say, that night when I said that I was zooming around, it was like, Remember, you, y'all always the late game. So it was like one o'clock in the morning. And I was joking around with Shaq and Kenny. And then I saw when that reporter asked you that question, I said, oh, man, he going to think I'm serious. But <laughs> like I say, you remind me a lot of Dennis. Because Dennis, man, that dude was a heck of a player. He was a hell of a player. He was so damn annoying to play against. Because you trying to concentrate on basketball. and now he made it personal instead of you just playing basketball. I'm trying to go at him. I'm trying to go at Dennis every play now. Hey, yo, man, I'm here sick hearing what a great defender you are. You're talking trash. I'm going at your ass every time. And he gets in your head and mm-hmm. you do exactly the same thing. So, man, when you came in the studio, you, you, the first time I met you was in New Orleans. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, I remember I said, and I said, you're going to be a hell of an NBA player. We talked, uh, we were at some bar having fun as usual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I say, welcome to the NBA, blah, 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 blah. And listen, you've had a hell of a career so far. And the, the future still brighter. You got a long way to go. Thank you. But I just think that <laughs> we, and you're going to learn this too. There's going to be guys who, when you have to talk about guys, they're going to be like, I want to play with that dude, but he's annoying as hell. Cause when, cause, cause, you know, it's like, uh, like now, if I played against Luca, this dude could play on every. He's a hell of a player. He's a <laughs> yes, hell. Of, he I watched y'all game Sunday night. I said he get he's he, he got another technical, but he complains on every play. And what he doesn't even realize, he's making contact with the defense, with all great offensive players. So he is getting hit. But if he would have to go back and look at the tape, he's the one making the contact. He does create a lot of contact. He, he, the best player I see do that is Allen Iverson. He, because he's such a little dude and a great player, he always hits the defense first. Mm-hmm. And me being a six five guy, I hit the defense every time. And every time they didn't call a foul, I'm like, damn, dude, you didn't see that. And I didn't realize until I went back and watched the tape. I'm like, oh. Sh- I asked for the one who made contact with him because I had to get the six nine guy off of me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys are like that when they when they're great offensive players, depending on their size advantage, they always hit the defense first. That's that's the way yeah. you get them off your foot. When I played against Mikhail, he's the best player I ever played against. I had to hit him like every single time. And uh because he was so long and lanky, but I was making contact with him every time. And every time they didn't call a foul, I bitch that complained about it. <laughs> and, and and switching gears a little bit, um, and, and just going back to the set, you you and Shaq go at each other more than anybody I know. Do y'all ever get to the point of where you like, man, that like that was too much? Like, do y'all ever get to the point where y'all really pissed at each? Because I know y'all are best of friends, but do y'all ever get to the point to where you like, yo, that was too much, or that really pissed you off, or you really pissed him off? I hope I pissed him off. <laughs> because you know, because Dre, what what he really don't understand is he's always been the best player and the biggest, baddest dude. Absolutely. And what me and Kenny try to explain to him, and you probably can explain also, 
Like, dude, we ain't more talented than everybody we play against. There's a strategy. There's a there's a there's a strategy. There's some techniques and things like that that are really important. But he's never had to worry about that, Drake. He's always been the biggest, most athletic guy in the world. Yeah. And he gets so mad when we try to talk basketball. I says, and me and Kenny argue with him all the time. He like. Why don't they just get the ball to the big man, let him dominate? He's like, check. <laughs> Nobody's like you and Wilt Chamberlain. There's a strategy. Like, me and Kenny and Dre, we have to have a strategy every night, especially against whoever you're playing against. And he refuses to listen to that. So then <laughs> he goes right, well, you didn't win the championship. I said, you're right. That still don't mean you don't – That we're talking basketball strategy. And I know every time I call him out on his strategy, he gets so pissed, and I love it. <laughs> but, but the thing that I try to get him to understand is, Shaq, we ain't all like you. You've always been the biggest, baddest dude. You're, you're, you're bigger, stronger, faster than everybody you play against. When I play against Bird, Mikhail, Carl Malone, those three are the best, or Kevin Garnett, like, I have to watch tape and figure out how I'm going to be successful against this dude. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I really have to think. I says, I'm going to be 6'5 every day. When I'm playing against 6'9 Bird, I got to try to figure out how to attack him or stop him. So, Mikhail, he's seven feet tall. I just can't post a seven-foot guy up. Carl Malone, Kevin Garnett. I mean, when I'm playing, and he refuses to understand that there's any strategy in basketball. <laughs> and you, as a player who, who 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 survives on smart, like you're gonna have to have a game plan against a lot of guys. Absolutely, and that's one of the reasons you've been successful. But he refuses to believe there's any <laughs> strategy in basketball. So, uh, so it so it makes me mad. And then I. So I go at him. I says, "You just don't know anything about basketball." Then he gets mad, which makes me laugh more inside. The kid is poking me under the <laughs> table, like, "Get him, get him!" And then he, so I know when I get him, you didn't win anything. I'm like, "Yeah, I know," but we're talking basketball strategy. So it's fun for me uh, to 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 rile him up, but. I wish that he would sit back and say, oh, maybe there is a strategy. But we all live in our own existence. Absolutely. Like, he's like he's never like, I need to have a strategy against Stanley Roberts, uh, Dikembe Mutombo, Rick Smits, Patrick Ewing. Uh, like, probably the only big guy who schooled him was probably Akeem. Yeah. And then once yeah. he became the, the full force he became, like, he was pretty much unstoppable. But he has always been the biggest, baddest dude. So he 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 refused to believe there's any strategy in basketball. And I just laughed my ass off because, like, yo, man, you do know there's actually a strategy in basketball, depending on who you plan against. But because of how great he was, yeah. he, 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 he doesn't care. Yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, I, anytime I can get his blood pressure up, I love it. When, when he when he hits you with the G14 classification or you don't got ring, does that ever irk you? And what do you make of, of what people make of rings? Because 
in some cases, I think, you know, they can be overvalued sometimes f- for certain guys. Like certain certain guys, you didn't really contribute to get in that ring. But you yeah. got the ring, great. I, it, some cases, it does matter. I, I, but I don't get uh, – uh, listen, and, and I'm sensitive or whatever. If people want – I'm trying to figure out just because a couple of jackasses on, on television like Skip Bayless, who I hate more than life itself, <laughs> starts talking about – who won and who didn't won, a guy who never played. And now they're making a great living doing that. But what bothers me about that is basketball is not an individual sport. Absolutely. Like to go on television and talk about just because it makes great TV, like, wait, dude, basketball is a team game. You're making a great living because it's easy for people to attack certain guys, the stars, stars. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, because I, I used to, I'll tell this, uh, I said this, nobody ever says, hey, man, Mark West didn't win the championship. You know, uh, Kevin Johnson, two of my great teammates, nobody ever said Dan Martin didn't win. But you get a guy like Skip Bayless on television who's got a radio show and a following. He picks shots about certain guys who were great players who didn't win the championship, and he's made a great living doing it. Mm-hmm. But my thing has always been, wait, it's it's not it's, a, it's y'all do know it's a team game, right? So that that's the only time I get mad when guys who've never played the game uh, talk about who hasn't won anything. And listen, and I and the point you said earlier, uh, a couple of seconds ago, like I don't even get mad at guys who can't play dead who get rings. Yeah, good for them. But I don't want guys walking around talking about the dude never won anything. And like, yo, man, you didn't even play in the game. <laughs> I mean, like, you can say to yourself, oh, I was a big part of the Warriors winning. Like, mm-hmm. uh, but if some guy came at me who didn't even get in the game, talking about he won the championship, I'm like, yo, man, you, you really – you crossing a line right now. And, but that's the only time. But I get offended when guys who've never played, who are making a lot of money, talk about, well, he never won anything. Like, well, number one, you never played. Let's get that out the way. But to attack guys who are great at their sport, uh, and there's a lot of guys who are great. I mean, you look at Carl was great. John Stockton was great. Patrick Ewing was great. They just never played on the best team. Mm-hmm. But to minimize what they did because it makes good internet, um, you know, they were on Matt Stafford before he got one this year. Wait, did Matt Stafford get better? No, he went to a better team. <laughs> he did go to a better team. You know, he team. went to a better team. Absolutely. I mean, he never won a playoff game in Detroit. He went to championship. Now, what? All of a sudden, he's a great, great player. I wish him nothing but the best, but he went to a great team. But, you know, that that was a narrative when the year started. He, he's not that good. He's not that good. Now he won. Like, okay, now they go to the next guy. So it's probably going to be probably, I think Josh Allen, who's great, probably got a couple more years. It's going to be tricky on Pat Mahomes. They're going to turn against him. They've already started a turn against him. They've turned against Aaron Rodgers. So, 
if you get one, then you get like you get them off your back for a minute. And like, well, he only won one. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I just kind of sit back and laugh when guys who've actually never strapped them up make money talking about who never won anything. Uh, absolutely. I, you know, I didn't used to pay attention to a lot of the stuff. And I say over the last, and I still, I don't watch a lot of it now, but because of Instagram, you see everything pop up on your phone. And like, like Skip Bayless, for instance, like it's baffling to me. Like I remember a time when, you know, um, media guys couldn't be homers. Um, you know, yeah. you you even even ride and one guy like Skip does LeBron. It was all it was almost viewed as distasteful, and now it's like no, that's a real thing. Like the way he rides LeBron James, like no matter what LeBron does, that's a real thing. Like where did that change? How did we go from you can't be a homer to that, like, it's two totally different ends of the spectrum. Well, when guys started making money doing that, when, like, because now it's a full-fledged business. Like, mm-hmm. Skip Bayless hates LeBron and Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. And for me, I hate that because the one thing I try to do is I'm never going to lie on television because people believe what they see on television. Mm-hmm. And if you have watched Skip Bayless, you know he hates LeBron and he hates Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. And that ain't right in my opinion. Because let me tell you something. LeBron James, I think, is now, I'm an MJ guy. I make that clear. But I think what LeBron has accomplished is arguably the greatest story in sports history. For number one, you look at Kobe. Kevin Garnett, guys like that, they were not good players when they first got to the NBA. That is true. That's true. LeBron is the only player in my 40 years in the NBA who played great from day one. And for him to turn into one of the best players ever, he's never gotten in trouble, especially in this 24-hour news cycle with social media. Mm-hmm. For him to be as great as he's been from the year 18 to where he's at now, I think it's one of the great stories in sports history. Because, number one, he was that good from day one. Yep. Which, like I said, as great as Kobe became and Kevin Garnett, guys like that, they were not good their first few years. Mm-hmm. But LeBron was good from day one. And for him to never have gotten in trouble and kept that level of excellence up, I think it's one of the greatest stories ever, in my opinion. I agree 100%. I always tell people um, with LeBron, like, that, he got the chosen one tattooed across his back. He had that, that tattoo in high school. You yeah. Know, like, King James. He was anointed King James in high school. I think for what, what's so incredible to me about LeBron is he probably had the highest expectations of any high school, ex, any player, but especially high school player ever coming into the NBA. Like even Michael Jordan didn't have the expectations to become who Michael Jordan became when he came out of North Carolina. LeBron probably had the highest expectations. Not only did he live up to him, he exceeded him. 100%. We've never, 
I mean, like I said, even those guys I mentioned earlier, LeBron was the only one who came in with that, like, you're supposed to be the next great player. And he mm-hmm. exceeded that. It's insane. But the thing is amazing, though, Dre, in this 24-hour news cycle where people got cameras all the time, what he has exceeded off the court also between his greatness at basketball and what he's accomplished off the court. And, and he's never really had a serious PR. I mean, the, the, the decision thing, leaving Cleveland, things like that. But to never get in trouble is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely. I mean, even even the decision, the decision raised, what, $10 million for charity or something yeah. like that. Well, they kind of did was... that, but they knew they, they knew they had messed up. They had to do something <laughs> charity-wise, you know, because that was a bad thing. I mean, in retrospect, I think it was a bad thing. I think they threw the charitable aspect out there because, like, oh, we're getting killed right now. But like I say, I, I don't even hold that against him uh, because – Man, to deal with all that pressure he's dealt with, I, I just think it's an incredible story. Uh, absolutely. A couple more questions. I know we've been on for a while, and I'll sit here and talk to you all day, as you know. I mean, all we need is a, a glass of Lobos or something, and we'll keep this thing rolling. But um, No question, brother. No question. <laughs> but uh, does it <clears> – one, one of the things that I, I really wanted to focus on and coming on TV uh, – and especially being an active player was, how do I be critical of guys and say what needs to be said without disrespecting a guy or making them feel like I'm hating on them? Because I know we hear a lot, or, or I mean, I even hear it a lot today. I don't really get off into it no more because I see the other side of things. Yeah. But you hear a lot today when you, uh, of, like for instance, uh, when, when Uncle Oak today, his comment came out. Some of my boys hit me, and they're like, why the f- would he say this? And this, that, and other. And you hear younger players always say, man, them older guys are haters, and, and, and they just be hating, and they mad because they ain't make as much money, and blah, blah, blah. Does it ever bother you um, when, when a guy who you may say something about on TV uh, start to dislike you personally, or you see them and they don't want to speak, or like, you know, the, it's, it's tension there. Does does that ever bother you? No, because, you know, you know Dre, if you're going to be great at this business, and I think you're going to be, you got to keep your credibility. Mm-hmm. You got to keep your credibility because that goes back to what we're talking about. The reason I don't like Skip Bayless is he covers for guys he likes. You can't pick out LeBron and Aaron because you don't like them or that drives your ratings and your social media stuff. And then talk good about guys who are not nearly as good, how great they are and blah, blah, blah. So he's become a television personality. But I think it's important to keep your, 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 like, okay, I might not like what y'all said, but he's going to be fair. Listen, there's going to be times you have to criticize guys. There's going to be times you have to criticize guys you like. Mm-hmm. Or the fans are going to be like, oh, Draymond, just, he, he likes his guys and he's hard on the guys he don't like. But then you're going to lose your credibility. I don't think anybody can say in my 
21 years that I said, oh, Charles just don't like that guy. But I do think there's a way you can criticize guys without, like, I just say, yo, man, the guy just had a bad game. He played awful tonight. I don't have to say, oh, man, he sucks as a player. He's awful. I'm like, no, he didn't have a good game. First of all, they just saw this dude have a bad game. <laughs> they just saw this dude have a bad game. If I get on TV and talk about, well, he didn't have that bad of a game, they're going to be like, oh, that's Chuck's boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's Chuck's boy. He he kills other people. It, 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 you know, So the number one thing you have to do is keep your credibility. Because once you lose that, the players ain't going to respect you, but more importantly, the fans ain't going to respect you. Because mm-hmm. when you're on television, you're really trying to relate to the fans. And like I say, they might disagree with you, but as long as you're fair, they're going to be cool with it. But the mm-hmm. number one thing, though, Dre, when you get into this business full-time, the people saw what just happened. <laughs> they saw like, wait a minute. Did Dre just say this dude played good and he played like trash? <laughs> So you can't, if you do that, they're going to be like, I'm not going to listen to this dude anymore. He got his guys he liked. He killed the guys he didn't like. So that's the key, keeping your credibility. So to answer your question, you know, man, I got to do my job. Absolutely. I got to do my job. Absolutely. No, I respect that. And, and before we get out of here, our, you know, like I said at the top of the show, you've won Emmys. Um, you've done. Are there any goals for you that you set for yourself that you want to accomplish before you say, like, because obviously as basketball players, you know, we we all set these goals, right? Like I want to win a championship or I want to win a defense player of the year or be an all-star. All, you, you set these goals for yourself and you say, I want to do this by the time I retire. Is there anything left for you in TV that you want to do that you say, I, I have to do this before I say I'm done? No, I, I think for me, we're, we're, we, we are in every broadcasting hall of fame there mm-hmm. is i think we are considered by far the best television sports show ever absolutely that means a lot to all of us mm-hmm. that means a lot to all of us uh i do think it's a joke that we get awards and things like that i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i was like wait a minute y'all gonna pay us and give us trophies <laughs> So. But the number one thing uh, I want, I want fans to say, I might not like Charles Barkley opinion, but you know what? He he tell he he tries to be fair and honest. That's all I really care about. You know, when I got in this business, my mentor said to me, Dick Ebersol, he says, I think you're gonna be great on TV. He said, but you're always gonna be in trouble. I said, what does that mean? He said, Charles, fans only want one or two things. They want you to tell them their favorite player is great and their team is great. Mm-hmm. He said, they don't want anything else. He says, now they're going to respect you, but they ain't going to like you. That's like when I meet Knicks fans. They're like, why you hate the Knicks? I says, yo, man, I don't hate the Knicks. Y'all been sucking for 20 years. <laughs> why? <laughs> you want me to get on TV and say they good, right? <laughs> is that what you want? I mean, I've been here anytime, hey, seriously, for 20 some years on time. Anytime I'm in New York, they're like, oh, you hate the Knicks. I'm like, man, the Knicks been trashed <laughs> as long as I've been on television. What do you want me to say? 
<laughs> you want me to get on TV and say the Knicks got a good team. And, and I'm going to look like a fool. Because other than last year when they had a decent year, I can't remember them having a good year. I think Carmelo had a couple of great years there, but the mm-hmm. team wasn't very good. But when you're in New York, they're like, you a hater on the Knicks. I'm like, yo, man. Seriously, you really want me to get on TV and kill my credibility? Say the Knicks got a good team. I ain't <laughs> never lied about the Knicks. They they just they've been awful. But I want fans to know that I just don't have a hidden agenda. That's the number one thing, plain yeah, and simple. I, I respect that, Chuck. I appreciate you. I think uh, for me, again, I just want to say thank you for what you've done. I mean, you went from being a Hall of Fame basketball player to transcending the broadcasting career after you're done playing. I don't think I can recall anyone that's done what you've done after the basketball career that you had, and it's incredible. So just from guys like myself and other guys that want to take that route, I just want to say thank you. And I think one of the most incredible things I can say about you that showed me what type of person you was, I always tell people, because people still walk up to me like, oh, fuck Chuck and like all this yeah. stuff. And I'd be like, man, listen, that's one of my favorite people. And, and I knew that was, that was evident for me. Two things. Um, number one, I'm sitting in the green room, you know, I'm new on the job. I'm sitting in my locker room. You come in the studio loud as hell, of course, like only Chuck does. But you were speaking to everyone. And not only were you speaking to everyone, it was, Yo, what's up, Ant, who most everybody don't know Ant, but Ant's the man behind the camera, you know? And, like, quite frankly, in most worlds, you wouldn't talk to Ant, right? Like No, but I'm telling you, though, the one thing, those people, I speak to everybody every night. I mean, for for some reason, these fools have to go in there like 12 o'clock in the day. (laughs) And I'm saying to myself, well, we don't go on to 7 o'clock. <laughs> what the hell y'all been doing here since noon? They're like, Chuck, we got to do this. We got to do this. And I'm sitting there like, nah, that's not shit take no seven hours for y'all to do. Mm-hmm. They're like, Chuck, we have to show up at 12 for a 7 o'clock show. So, Dre, I learned when I go there, like, they work. I don't even know what they're doing, but it's got to be hard work for them to get there seven hours in advance. Mm-hmm. So I make sure every time I go in the studio, I say, hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Because like I said, I don't know what the hell they doing for seven hours, but I appreciate them being there for seven hours. Absolutely. I respect their time. And I Absolutely. really appreciate your kind words. And listen, whenever my journey is over, whether we work together or not, hey, man, take it to the next level. You're going to be great on television. You got charisma and personality, and it's going to be great when you take over. I appreciate it, man. Like I said, I thank you for paving the way. I'm looking forward to catching up soon, my brother. And like I said, I'm letting Get your ass on the court. I'll be back out there in a few weeks, and I'm dominating their ass again, Chuck. But I'm letting Steve Kerr know right on this podcast right now, if Chuck's 60th birthday party happens on the night of a game, I will not be there. I will be at Chuck's 60th birthday party. I don't care who in the media got something to say about it. I don't care if y'all want to light me up or rip me a new one. I'm at Chuck's 60th, and that's how it's going. Hey, let me tell you this. Uh, Y'all keep winning. 
because I want to see the Phoenix Suns against the Golden State Warriors. We got the Western Conference this year. Yes, sir. I want to sleep in my own bed in Phoenix, <laughs> and I want to make that short trip to San Francisco. So y'all both get it, and I'll see you in the Western Conference Finals, my brother. Yes, sir, my brother. Thank you, Chuck. I appreciate you. Okay, brother. Y'all be safe. Man, that was such an incredible and insightful interview. I mean, we we talked everything from social economics to um, how African Americans are already behind. I mean, not even really African Americans. Yes, African Americans, but just poor people are already behind the eight ball. Um, I mean, we discussed broadcast and we discussed plan. We discussed relationships between African American men. I learned so much. I took so much away from that interview. Chuck is is always extremely insightful, and he never lacks for words, as we all know, as you know by Mr. Triple Single, as you know by I want to punch him in his face. That guy never lacks words, yet has become one of my absolute favorite people in the world. Uh, like I said, one of the best people I've ever been around, uh, an extreme pleasure and honor that I had to to sit alongside him and work alongside him and, and then also um, continue to uh, with, with my deal that I signed with Turner Sports. So I'm extremely blessed and lucky to have someone like that in my life and, and to to have started building a relationship with the Chuckster because he's he's just an incredible human being. And I hope you all took the same thing away from that interview. Hopefully you got the opportunity to know him even a little better than you knew before. And how brilliant was the Kobe gym? I mean, that's one for the ages. Like, could you imagine, number one, Kobe and Shaq back together, which I think would have been beautiful for everyone, but then just adding Kobe's knowledge to that panel with the GOAT, uh, the godfather, Ernie Johnson, with the Jet with Shaq Diesel, as I said, and with the Chuckster, man, that would have been incredible. But unfortunately, uh, we never got to see it. And fortunately enough, maybe fortunately we didn't, because that also meant Kobe got to spend more of that time that he would have been doing that with his family, as we all know, the tragedy that shook all of our lives. Um, and, and more importantly, his family life. So I th- that's still one that I can't let go. I still get super sad when I see something to Kobe. I still get super sad when I hear his name. Like, I'm not sure if and when I'll ever get over that, um, as I know a lot of people have. And I, and I still send my love um, to Vanessa and, and his girls uh, because just can't imagine. But like I said, w- such a great episode. Um, such a great interview with Chuckster. I am thankful to the Chuckster. Uh, he's so incredible. Make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast if you haven't. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel if you haven't. And that's it from the Draymond Green Show, episode 15. That's a wrap. Catch y'all next week. Peace. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, my 
Ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Fuma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex.